My prayer is that God will use something said this morning that will ignite in you. Um, I mean this kindly, an expectation, not a demand, but an expectation that changes today. That you'll be that person that, like my title says, Holy Spirit, help, hope, and more. Uh, One of the authors I've listened to over the years, and I find him very original, very um, sort of, I probably read him more than most with the reaction of, I never thought of that. Or, you know that kind of person? It's how you feel every Sunday in my messages. <laughs> no. Uh, but it is a, um, it's a statement that uh, Philip Yancey makes. He says that um, even the names, the names of the Holy Spirit, helper, encourager, comforter, others, healer, um, strengthener, interceder, all of those indicate are actually revealing in in our lives. They say at the very least, we need those things. Why would you adopt a name if you're the Holy Spirit that, like helper, or comforter, encourager, interceder, except that that's the role you want to play in your people. So it's a, it's a helpful image for me in my heart. And I want to say, uh, I know it's belated, it's a couple of days past, but happy Thanksgiving to you all. And um, thank you for your, uh, your prayers on our behalf. Um, we had a very different Thanksgiving than we've ever had. And it was, was sweet. It was, it was just four of us, my my Debbie and my dad and my youngest daughter, Carissa, and um, the rest were either, well, they were both very far away, one living in a faraway place and one flying um, to and from a faraway place. Okay, I'll say it, Maui. Um, <laughs> oh, bummer, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, it was, um, it was very, uh, we were very aware of the simplicity of Thanksgiving and um, uh, a family in our church uh, arranged with a catering uh, friend of theirs. Um, on Thursday afternoon, to, there was a knock on the door, and there was a full meal uh, with everything uh, that you kind of make part of your Thanksgiving, including a fresh pie. Uh, so it was just a delight, and uh, we um, we had reason to celebrate and give thanks. So. Um, I, I want to read to you a list of names this morning. So you got to kind of think with me as we get started. It's a list of names um, and see if you can guess what they have in common, all of these names. They'll be familiar to most of you. Um, they're from the Bible and I'm going to give them to you. Not a complete list, and not, uh, but I want you to know they're in chronological flow, okay? In, in other words, or. Uh, the appearance in the Bible. Okay, so the first is Moses and the 70 elders. Now, don't say out loud. Just try to think of the link that I'm trying to draw your attention to. Okay? So Moses and the 70 elders, that, that's all the way back in Numbers 11. Um, so the Pentateuch. Then comes Joshua, also mentioned in Numbers 27. Then comes uh, the first of four judges, uh, Othniel, 
He was the first judge. And Samson, who was the 12th in the list of 12, he was, he's one of the people I want you to think about. And then comes uh, in the middle Gideon and Jephthah. So those are the four, Othniel, Jephthah, Gideon, Othniel, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson, okay? But we're, we're not done with my list. Then comes Saul, King Saul, and following him, King David. And then sometime later, two really standout prophets, Elijah and his successor, Elisha, Hopefully not going too fast. I could give you all the scriptures, but if you're uh, watching from some other place, click the link down below and you can have in your hands what everybody has here, and that's a note page with the scriptures that all of these people can be found, their stories. And then comes, now stay with me on my list, I'm not done, Mary, the mother of Jesus in Luke chapter 1. And... Uh, 120 people who are nameless in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1 and 2. And finally, every believer in Jesus Christ since Pentecost. All right, anybody want to hazard a guess? What's the single link that all those people have in common? Phil, what was that? They all, in God. they all believed in God. That's a start. That's right. The presence and the filling of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, they had the one we're talking about this morning. The Holy Spirit's help and hope, and so much more. Uh, it's not just a song we're singing now. It's a reality that's been true for, well, you'll see, for a very long time. Uh, if you, you had thought that the Holy Spirit, up to this point, up to the announcement, the revelation that was shared by many, um, if you had thought that the Holy Spirit was someone on the scene um, only in people of old, like really old, like Old Testament old, uh, no wonder you're scratching your head right now when you stayed with my list and heard that it, in fact, extended beyond the Old Testament um, into the very present. In fact, some of you are scratching your head because you're thinking, no, I thought that was only something that was true after Jesus, well, died, was buried, rose again, and returned to the Father in heaven. So no wonder there's a lot of head scratching going on. You're thinking, wait, who is this Holy Spirit? Because I'll remind you again, most on that list, I didn't count, maybe 10 or 12 on that list, are all from the Holy uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, so if we're to zoom out for a moment, which is what I'm having you do, imagining all those different people sharing in common the Holy Spirit, 
we zoom out to the widest possible Holy Spirit interaction with the world and the people that live in it, we might be surprised to discover a couple of facts. Let me just give you a few that kind of ease us into this pretty profound discovery, I think, that we're going to make. The Holy Spirit, first of all, let's start with the most basic observation of all. He's not a, uh, well, he is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not a power and he's not a force. May the force be with you. <laughs> you know, he's not that. He's, he's, a, he's a person. He is God. Acts chapter uh, 5, verses 3 and 4 tell the story of a couple named Ananiah and Sapphira, husband and wife. And in those days, they were selling their personal belongings, dwellings and stuff. Um, and they're bringing the proceeds from those sales before the apostles to be distributed to people in need of any kind. All right? And, um, and, and so they sold their place, and they brought the proceeds and presented the proceeds as the, 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 the result of the sale. Only they were holding back a certain portion of what um, the place sold for. All right? Now you say, well, that's not a problem. Well, it is a problem if you lie about it. And there, somehow there, it, was, it was understood that they, they represented the sale at this level, and, or at, at, at uh, this level, and the reality was it was much more. And so they were confronted by Peter. And these were the very words he used. Ananias and Sapphira, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the next verse, he says, you lied to God himself. You hear the link happening there? The Holy Spirit is God. And did you know, secondly, the Holy Spirit, according to the second verse in the Bible, was actually around, I said, a long, long time ago. He actually predates Genesis 1, verse 2. He was present and very involved in creation of the world itself. Do you know that? Listen to this. The Bible was without form and void. So there was a day when it didn't look like this. <laughs> it was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Not sure what that looks like, but it sounds kind of creepy. It sounds like almost nothingness. Very fluid. And then this. And the Holy Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's in Genesis 1, verse 2. So the Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit was very involved in creation. Here's a third one that may shock you. The Holy Spirit was present in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, where we thought there were actually three there, right? Adam, Eve, and the serpent. Now, the Holy Spirit was present there. These words describe uh, in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 8, that God came in the cool of the day. Verse 8 says that, right? Well, did you know that the Hebrew word could a cool of the day could be translated wind of the day? 
In fact, some translations do that. Interesting parallel with what I just said. And if you go forward to Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost, it says that people were gathered in Jerusalem and the, well, the arrival of the Holy Spirit, as it's understood, came as a blowing, we're told, of violent wind. Do you hear the parallel there? I always thought God was kind of trucking through the garden. It says there was a sound of him you could hear. There's no question. Adam and Eve heard God in the garden. But we've already established Holy Spirit is also part of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he came in the cool of the day or what might have been the wind of the day. Wow. Um, From those early sightings, then the Bible goes on to report that the Holy Spirit moved powerfully in many people's lives that we started my list with in the the Old Testament. Um, Some people in that list, you would expect the Holy Spirit working through. I'm just going to put myself out there. When I made the list, I thought, well, of course he's there. It makes sense when you hear Moses. You don't pull off what he did without help. So that makes sense to me. And then along comes David, and I think, gosh, David, big deal. Uh, Man after my own heart. Greatest king of Israel uh, saved Jesus Christ. That makes sense. Hey, Elijah and Elisha, if you haven't read their stories, I double dare you to do it. 1 Kings 18 to 2 Kings about 7 or so. And when you do, see if you don't have this overwhelming impression that the Holy Spirit was like powerfully upon those two prophets. I mean, huge. In fact, I'll I'll blow a secret. Uh, One of them didn't die. He was couriered to heaven. How? Yeah. Chariot, whirlwind, Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, So those are on my list, and I thought, well, that's not a big revelation. People aren't going to go, oh, wow. But there's some that I'm just going to say are really surprising. Um, including several judges that we've gotten to know in previous conversations. I mean, uh, Othniel, um, Samson, Gideon, and Jephthah, they stand out, though, for a reason that is not mentioned about the other eight judges. And next to their names, those four people's names, this statement is made, I'm quoting, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. Not all 12, that doesn't mean it didn't happen, but I kind of think God knows what he's doing when he wrote the Bible. And for whatever reason, he wants us to be impressed with the fact that um, those four had God's the Spirit come powerfully upon them. 
and they pulled off amazing things. You can look up those same references all from Judges there. All right. So that's enough said about how the Holy Spirit comes upon different people, but um, the opposite is also true in a few well-known Old Testament people. What do you mean the opposite is true? The Holy Spirit, write this down, it's true, left some who had sinned. Whoa. I already mentioned his name. That's why Samson is the first to mention now. Um, Samson, the last of those 12 judges, um, also, um, after divulging his secret sauce, the, the secret of his strength, uh, to a seductress named Delilah, you remember the long hair and Nazarite vow and all that. Well, um, he was overcome by Israel's enemies, the Philistines. And he thought, no problem, I can, I can, I can wreck this building like that. I got the kind of strength. I got the power, right? He was that guy. And he found at that moment that he was powerless to stop them. Bible adds, because the Holy Spirit had left him. Let's take that in. While you're taking that in, consider Israel's first judge, King Saul. Uh, first king, King Saul. So um, his story is recorded for all of us to know about. And, um, and Saul had sinned badly a couple of times and he rebelled in his sin against God and first Samuel chapter 16 verse 14 laments and now at that moment the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul now we can make up all kinds of sort of uh, contextual caveats I think it's nuts to do so I think the Bible just plainly says, and the Holy Spirit said, no more, Saul. Um, there's one more I want to tell you about. King David, Israel's second king. So Saul, after sinning and rebelling against God, the Holy Spirit left him, departed, we're told. King David, equally sinned. Some would say even worse. Uh, broke two of the commandments, two of the ten. Adultery and murder. Um, he sinned, I'm going to call it egregiously. And he feared that God would somehow remove his spirit from him. David did. He had that fear. And so he expresses that fear in his beautiful public prayer in Psalm 51. If you haven't read it, you need to. And he says, purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me. It's a prayer. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Ready for this? Do not 
cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. You don't pray that unless you fear that that possibility might be true in your case. I'm not making this stuff up. Um, so we have a, a, a little sort of sampling of the Holy Spirit's work. I'm by no means exhaustive, uh, either by the names of the people I've mentioned or the circumstances. There's a lot more. Which brings me to a couple of prophets I just want to mention in passing, and then we'll land in uh, the upper room for a few minutes, uh, John chapter 14, chapter 16. But uh, there's a group of godly uh, people known as prophets. I mentioned two of them already, Elijah and uh, Elisha. But these are prophets in the Old Testament, um, and they... They are describing something that I, I often think of prophets as squinting people. You know how you read something or you're told something and you're, you're trying to get, it's like, a, it's like a dog that's trying to interpret its master's movements. And they're, they're, they have that look of, what? What am I supposed to do for that biscuit? Because I'll do it. Just tell me. I don't get it. You know, you know what I mean? And these, these prophets... They lived a long time before Pentecost, the event where the Holy Spirit came in great power in Acts chapter 2. In fact, the first one is named Joel, J-O-E-L. He was a 900 B.C. prophet. Okay? So that takes him way back. And he's squinting as he's describing something that you and I go, well, duh. But you've got to go back and follow the timeline or we just get this way out of context. Joel is being given something by the Spirit of God to announce. And so he does so in chapter 2. And it's a big vision. This is a God-sized vision that says, it's coming. Um, I have a book on my shelf uh, called The Great economic earthquake, the coming great economic earthquake. If you own any stocks, you kind of want to read it. Go, how to, how to duck and cover, <laughs> you know, how to dig a hole deep enough and hide it, you know, whatever. But, but when you hear a, a prediction like that, you think, oh, that could impact me personally. Well, Joel's hearing a prediction of something way more uh, significant and impactful that, that, he puts into spirit-filled print in Joel chapter 2. I'm just going to read it. I will pour out my spirit, will is a future tense. I will pour out my spirit, drum roll, on all people. That means it's not for the clergy. It's not for the seminary trained. Thankfully, we get it too. It's for all. I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters. This is Joel the prophet saying that. Will prophesy. Not just him, the prophet. Y'all will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. I've been dreaming a lot lately. <laughs> and... Uh, 
I don't know. Anyway, it's a little attempt at humor. But um, notice this. Your young men will see visions. Dreams and visions. He's not done. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So if you're Joel, you're going, when? Those days came 900 years later in Jerusalem at Pentecost. And the Apostle Peter's first message in Acts chapter 2 actually confirmed that Joel's message had been fulfilled on this day. As he concludes his message, he makes an appeal. Peter did. He goes, you know, you all know, this is a little different. In that day, everybody there knew Joel. He was, an, he was, a, he was a name you memorized. You knew what he talked about hadn't happened yet, but you were looking forward to it. And the apostle Peter said, and you were kind of dozing off until he said, this has come true on this day. You know how he ended his message? Peter did that moment. He says, and the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that did this says, everyone who calls on the, on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that great? It's the, it's the deal. Salvation has come to all. Uh, have you called on Jesus? I got to stop and ask to save you. You know, this isn't do enough good and then you cross the line. This isn't somehow a, 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 a secret that only a few discover. It's, a, it's an appeal made to everybody. Whoever is inclusive, whoever calls on the salvation giver will be saved. Is that an irresistible thing? That means, yeah, you may, you may have not committed adultery and murdered. You may, you, your sins are another list. So are mine. Do you know what? I still have to call on the name of the salvation giver. There's no exception to that. And there's no exception that he saves those who do. Man, this, this is gospel. One more, Ezekiel. 250 years closer to us. So 900 B.C., Joel, Ezekiel, 250 years closer to us. He provides more detail. He's still squinting. It's a long ways from today. Long time ago. He's squinting when he's speaking to the exiles in Babylon. That's where they were at this time. And they were gutted with the hope gone. Jerusalem and the city destroyed. So he's speaking to them painting a picture of Holy Spirit help and hope and so much more. And he says it this way in Ezekiel 36. Listen to this. I will sprinkle water on you. Notice the forward tense. I will sprinkle water on you and you will be clean. 
I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idolatry. I will give you, this is irresistible promise, I will give you a new heart. I will do that. That's what I'm going to do. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. If you haven't taken a note, take those two words and put them down on the page. They come up in a moment. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove in putting my new heart in you. I will remove the heart that was in you. It's that heart of stone. It's that heart that doesn't work. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And then he repeats himself. I will put my spirit in you. That preposition is there for a purpose. In you. And I will move you then to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. And then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. And I think this made God smile when he had Ezekiel say it. And and you will be in that moment my people. And I will be your God. Um, Can't you just feel the excitement of Ezekiel's prediction? I mean, he's, he's saying stuff that I drink up. Clean heart. New heart. A clean me. Put my spirit in you. You will be mine and I will put my spirit in you to prove it. And to fulfill that promise. I'm not the only one that, that just is so impressed by this, this sort of progression. Listen to these words. Philip Yancey just captures it so well. Um, he says, the progression, Father, Son, and Spirit, represents a profound advancement in intimacy. Now listen. He's just a human trying to put together these beautiful images. At Sinai, the people shrank back from God. Remember when they were afraid to go anywhere near the mountain? And they begged Moses to approach God the Father on their behalf. But in Jesus' day, people could hold a conversation with the Son of God. They could see Jesus. In some cases, they could even hurt him. And then at Pentecost, the same flawed disciples who fled from Jesus at his trial became the couriers of a living message. They were the ones that were given the privilege to take the message to everybody that will listen. And, and, and Jesus turned over, actually, the kingdom of God to the likes of the disciples and us and us and me and you so it's no surprise that Jesus would call attention to such intimacy on the last night he's gathered with his disciples in John 14, I'd like you to turn there if you saw my 
the location we'd eventually get to. It's there in your notes. John chapter 14. Um, and as you turn there, um, let me remind you of, um, there's about five chapters here, John 13 to John 17. They're all happening in the same location in what we call the upper room. Um, and Jesus is with his disciples there. So he's got some things. They shared the uh, Passover meal together. It was a very intimate gathering. About halfway through, maybe not quite that long. It was one night. One of them left, of course, Judas, to go and betray him. So there's Jesus and 11 in that room. And chapter 14 is, as you could do the numbers, it's kind of early in the evening or somewhere in that, that uh, zone. And uh, it's clear, though, by now that Jesus is saying goodbye. And so it kind of wrecks the meal, I mean, to be honest, to be human about it. I mean, I'm like, golly, we're having a great time, and you drop a bomb, you know. And, and, it, and, it, and it stopped everybody. Maybe they were swallowing or whatever, they, and it stops them. And he says, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going away. Um, this is goodbye. Um, they had to all wrinkle their brow when he said what he said next. This is good. It's actually good that I'm going. And um, oh, you check it out. Verse 16 tells us that. Um, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. We've been saying that throughout this morning. The world cannot accept him because he's neither, uh, it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and, watch this, will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. That was just a matter of hours. By noon the next day, he was gone. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live you also will live. Watch verse 20 now. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Incredible. If I had been there, despite hearing his amazing words, I, know, I, I think I know my reaction. I would have pushed back. Because I don't know what he's talking about. The Holy Spirit, what? I know you, Jesus. I've hung out with you for three years. I would have said, no, don't go. Stay here. We want you. We're into you. We don't even, we don't want, we can't imagine anybody better than you. We don't want anybody beside you. I'd have said, I would have felt that. I don't know if I'd say it all. Um, even so, he's not done a little bit later. If you just turn the page to chapter 16, same night, he's still there. Um, a bit later that evening, you can feel the tone in his voice. Um, the, his departure through death on a cross is weighing heavy on his heart and theirs. And in the midst of that, he makes this surprising statement, verse 6 of chapter 16. You will be filled, uh, rather, you will be filled with grief, verse 6, 
because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your, he says it again, good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the, my Bible capitalizes advocate, it's the Holy Spirit, will not come in you, to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit will prove about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. That's a whole other series sometime. I just want you to know this. It's not your job or mine to convince people that they need Jesus. We can convey the truth that he wants to live in them. But... We can't convince them. We can't convince them that they need a Savior. Why? I mean, you're not looking at a sinner. I mean, whatever. Um, how could it be for our good that Jesus went away? New American Standard uses, I think, a better word. It says, it's to your advantage. Okay. I think the answer is in the difference between with and within. I, th I think that's what we're reading here. When Jesus came to earth, said Matthew in his gospel, he was given a name. Remember that name? Emmanuel, God with us. That's the name Jesus was given, God with us. And in fact, the moment he was born in Bethlehem, God was with us. We're going to celebrate that. We're going to light a first Advent candle today in anticipation of his arrival and the birth. But, but he was with us. There's no question that that's what happened. But when the Holy Spirit came, a short 10 days after Jesus returned to heaven. When the Holy Spirit came in Jerusalem that day, God went further than he had ever gone before. God is now within us. And according to numerous statements in the New Testament, he came to stay. He came to stay. Can I get raw with you? You can blow it huge. You can mess up so bad you embarrass yourself. Will the Holy Spirit leave you emphatically? No. If you belong to Jesus Christ, if you called upon the name of the Lord, he came and he plans to stay. You say, well, pastor, that's good pep talk, but is it true? You tell me. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 4, Romans, it's all over the place, but these, I'm going to quote Ephesians 1. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul put it this way. When you believed in Christ, he identified you as one of his own. Let me slow down. When you believed in Jesus, he identified you. She's mine. He's mine. One of his own. By giving you, this is how he did it, 
by giving you his Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. It's taken me 40 minutes to capture long ago. Okay? He's not done. The Spirit is God's guarantee. Quoting from Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. That he will give you the inheritance that he promised he would give you. God is not just a promise maker. He is a promise keeper. So if you, I don't care if you did it in a big dramatic way or in a private little closet somewhere, and you said, God, I suck. I need a savior. I choked. I did terrible things. I know some of you are all hung up. He said, sucked in pulpit. Get, you know what? I sinned in much bigger ways needing a savior than that. Okay? Trust me. And it, and it was more than a potty mouth. It was big time. And I, and I found my way to, to my knees. And I said, God, no one else wants to help me get over this. But you do. You didn't, you're one of the few that didn't run from me. Is your story like that? It's huge. I'm not done quoting this either. <laughs> um, the Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give you an inheritance that He promised you when you said, I surrender. And that he purchased you to make you one of his own people. And he did that for a reason, so that you would never stop praising and glorifying him. Damn. Yeah. I hope you never get over um, meeting a Savior you really needed one. It's a lousy sentence I just expressed because you always need one. So do I. But you know that moment I'm talking about. Maybe you haven't bowed the knee. Maybe you're still trying to carry the load of your own sin. I, I did. Well, I was pretty dysfunctional. Can I say? By design. I didn't have game. Couldn't, couldn't fix myself. Could put a smile on, make it, fake it. But deep down inside, without Jesus, I'm still a sinner lost. Everything about you changes when you surrender to Jesus. I'm not talking problems go away, you win the lottery, all that stuff. I'm talking about deep things. You're, you're no longer even known in the Bible as a sinner. You know that? Every epistle by the Apostle Paul, you're now a saint in Christ Jesus. How's that? It's a God that says, I, I changed you. I, I took out the heart of stone. Put a heart of flesh. I see you differently. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creature, new creation, Old has passed away completely. New has come. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ, um, please 
Save yourself time and grief. You're going to come to that point at some point because your fix won't work. You'll still be in that closet stinking up the place because you, you know it's, it's still who I am. I need something deeper than a fix. I need a new heart. And the Holy Spirit is the one who makes men and women new. I want to close with these words that capture the enormity of his permanent presence in every believer's heart. Quote, after Jesus had left at Pentecost, the Spirit of God descended and filled individual human beings. Thus their fallen spirit, because Jesus had left, was finally restored. More than walking in the garden with human beings, way back in Genesis chapter 3, more than that, God was now living inside them. I'd like you to bow your heads this morning. And, um, and when he came to live inside, he brought all that he is with him. Help, hope, comfort, encouragement, strength, endurance. I'll ask what I've been asking throughout this message this morning. Is he in you? Um, if, you've, if you've never called upon his name, do it right now, would you? It's not a long prayer. God, have mercy on me, the sinner, is the simple words in Luke 18. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that, it's that plain. Have you repented of your sin? That's where it starts. You just fall on your knees and go, God, I can't go on without help. And he'll say, I'm, I'm here to give you the help I promised. I give you a new heart and I'll come and live in it. If you have done that, and I have, um, and you've hit hard times, and I have, He saved me, and he saves you, and seals you. And he wants to be the one that directs your daily steps in a way that gives you help and hope. And hope has a name. Will you turn to Jesus today?